You are Locked On Pelicans, your daily podcast on the New Orleans Pelicans, part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. Welcome to another edition of Locked On Pelicans, the daily podcast covering your favorite team, the New Orleans Pelicans, and NBA as a whole, part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day, available on iTunes, Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Stitcher, Spotify, literally wherever you get your podcasts from. I'm your host, Pelicans Insider, credential member of the media and editor over at LockedOnPelicans.com, Jake Madison, at NolaJake on Twitter, here with you all on this Monday in what's honestly going to just be a weirder podcast, I think, today. And obviously, we're going to start talking about Kobe Bryant and lead off with that. And we'll touch on some stuff with the Pelicans. I don't have this one planned out like I normally would. We had two games over the weekend, a rough loss to the Denver Nuggets and a very good win against the Boston Celtics, both filled with good and bad and Zion highlights and one or two Zion lowlights. But this stuff just kind of takes a backseat to everything that happens Sunday before the games. And so if we don't touch on a lot of the Pelican stuff today, I apologize. Please bear with me. Um, this has been a rough day for everyone in the NBA, myself included, and we will get to that stuff the remainder of the week. We've got plenty of time to cover all things Zion as we have been doing and will be doing the rest of the week. So let's we'll, we'll start with, with Kobe. Um, we'll maybe, you know, touch on one or two other things and we'll just kind of see where this goes and we'll be back to kind of a more normal schedule and a more normal podcast tomorrow. So as I always say, let's dive into it all in today's edition of Locked on Pelicans. So I've kind of been putting off recording this episode. It's around 11 or sorry, 10 p.m. here central after the game. The game ended a number of hours ago, and it's more that I just don't know how to kind of begin. And you can probably hear it in my voice a little bit that for me, as well as most people around the NBA, yesterday was pretty rough with the Kobe Bryant news of dying in the helicopter crash along with his 13-year-old daughter uh, Gianna, as well as the other people on board. And it's just a horrible, tragic event that you can see has kind of a huge impact across the entirety of the NBA, whether it's players, coaches, fans, just people working at the arena. And you know, uh, you all know I'm from Los Angeles. Originally, I moved to New Orleans in 2004 for college, but you know, some formative years there in LA. And when I think about Kobe Bryant, you know, he's the reason I have this podcast, to be honest. The reason I got into the NBA when he was drafted and then traded to the Lakers and started following his career from then. And really is the main reason I have this huge love of basketball that I do. And without Kobe Bryant, I'm not hosting this for you guys for the past couple of years. I haven't been, you know, I wouldn't have been covering the team for nine years, something like whatever it's been, nine or 10, I don't even know, I've even lost count, um, without having him, you know, and as I look along like Facebook and all of my friends from high school and people I, you know, grew up with being absolutely gutted, which is probably the best word for it, and then, you know, coming to the arena for the game yesterday and, it was a very surreal experience. The first person I basically saw upon getting in there uh, was Joel Myers, who you know called Lakers games for a number of years and knew Kobe on a very personal level, probably more so than most people out there. And to see him and how awful he was feeling from it 
kind of really hits home. And then around the arena before the game there, it, it just felt like the life was sucked out of the building. And there was just an unreal stillness, which is kind of shocking in comparison to what we've seen the past two games. And even in the stuff before that, when the Pelicans were winning, leading up to that, where it's just been a, a place that almost felt like a powder keg waiting for a match to kind of set it ablaze. But there was something building in there with the return of Zion Williamson and all of that just immediately, immediately went away. And you could see how important Kobe's been to the NBA and you know, regardless of what you thought about him as a player, and look, you, you can pick holes in his game. I've done it too. He's not the most efficient scorer. His impact is probably immeasurable. Basically, every player out there in the league right now, this is their Jordan. This is their MJ. This is the guy they all idolized and wanted to be growing up and reasons they're in the NBA, and Kobe is that. You hear all of them talk. If you ever get with them one-on-one -on -one or get a chance to read some of their interviews, they will drop Kobe in there every single chance that they can get. And it shows the impact he has. There's a generation of NBA fans that are there because of Kobe. He kind of transcended the sport. I spoke to a number of people that made sure to come to every Laker game when they played here in the Smoothie King Center or whatever it was before because – they wanted to see Kobe. He was on that kind of level, and when he had a good game, you don't really get that upset, I guess, because sometimes you just want to see greatness out there on the court, and um, forgive me, sorry. And so to kind of have that guy die, die young, 41, very tragically, and a guy who has such an impact on a lot of people, and look, there's some reconciling that probably has to be done with his legacy and the alleged rape in Colorado and everything that kind of came out with that. And there's time to do that. And if you want to do that, I don't have an issue with people bringing that up almost first thing. I'm just not going to do that today, but certainly I'm aware of it. And in 2020, those allegations kind of take on a different type of light than we probably thought when that first happened or even five years ago. So there's some complications there too. I'm fully aware of that, but just a weird feeling around the NBA um, entirely. And the the locker rooms were closed to media before the game. Usually you can go and talk to the players. None of that. Um, both coaches, Alvin Gentry and Brad Stevens, spoke to the media and only spoke about Kobe Bryant. Players didn't really warm up before this game. They just seemed like this. their hearts weren't in it. And... I can understand why a lot of people, and I myself was doing it for a bit, that maybe they needed to have canceled the remainder of the games that were out there. But, you know, everyone's kind of said Kobe is the maybe fiercest competitor, one of them ever in the NBA, and he probably would have liked the games to have gone on and not had um, his death, ironically, be a distraction with this. But it, it was. The players, certainly not themselves before the game. Maybe it helped once they started playing and they could kind of get into a groove of that, but certainly no to begin with. And then all of the tributes that came over. And let's take a break here and we'll regroup. Um, and I can catch my breath. And we'll talk a little bit more about those because there were a couple of really nice moments in the Smoothie King Center if you weren't there um, and have any appreciation of Kobe Bryant that were pretty cool to see. And we'll touch on those coming up here in just a second. 
So there were tributes pouring in across the NBA um, during games yesterday, and the Pelicans followed suit with that. Prior to the game starting, the players all switched out of the shoes they normally wear and put on some Kobe's before changing back to the game if they had to wear them for contractual reasons. But just a cool, simple little thing that you know has some meaning to it. They had a 24-second moment of silence before the game to recognize uh, both for Kobe and his daughter Gianna too. And then when the game started, this occurred earlier uh, in the night in the Pelicans and Celtics followed suit where they both um, had uh, each on the first possession ran out the shot clock 24 seconds, also very fitting um, to loud cheers and loud Kobe chants out there on the court. And overall, it was, I just know, a really nice moment in the Smoothie King Center of people kind of coming together around something. And I'm seeing now as I'm recording this, um, a couple minutes later from the last like break here, needed to kind of regroup. And uh, they're having a second line out there for Kobe Bryant, which still pretty cool to see, too. A couple of things worth mentioning. I did uh, the Pelicans pregame with Gus Kattengill and Daniel Salerson uh, and Jordan Clybear before the game. And we were talking about some Pelicans slash Hornets Kobe memories. Daniel mentioned a game where the Pel- then Hornets blew a 25-point lead to the Lakers. We couldn't remember the specific year or some of the circumstances, but I actually do very much remember the game. And when you type in Hornet, uh, the Google search I did was Hornets, uh, Lakers, New Orleans, blown lead. And the first link that comes up, I almost ironically, and I don't remember this, is an article that go Hornets blow 25-point lead and lost to the Lakers. Everyone is sad. I wrote it for Bourbon Street Shots, apparently, and <laughs> talked about that game. I remember it very clearly. They pick and rolled the Pelicans to death, the then Hornets to death at the end of the game. Robin Lopez, a huge liability. And Kobe had 42 in that one. Uh, his final game in New Orleans was on a Muses Thursday, I believe, and you sold that place out. That is one of the more popular Mardi Gras parades. And in Kobe's final game, 27 points, I think, uh, here in New Orleans. And it was a complete sellout for a night when they play that shouldn't be a sellout, given that it's Mardi Gras season and there's a lot of other things going on. But people really, really wanted to see him. Kobe also had a five-game streak where he scored 50-plus points in each game. One of those came against New Orleans as well. And if you want to kind of get into the weeds, I don't know if this counts anymore. Technically, he was drafted by the Charlotte Hornets, who then moved to New Orleans uh, six years or so later. Um, And for a while was officially drafted by the New Orleans franchise. But when they renamed to the Pelicans and then the Charlotte Hornets switched back, or the Charlotte Bobcats switched back to the Hornets, the history of the Hornets name went back to Charlotte and New Orleans was more or less an expansion team starting in 2002. So he was no longer drafted by the New Orleans franchise. Um, That one's a little weird too. He scored his 30,000th point here in New Orleans. I remember being so excited excited to go to that game just to watch him and as we were talking on the radio you know I'm around the players a lot I know some of the guys uh, you know Anthony Davis famously said I look like Jose Calderon um you you don't really kind of get all that excited be like oh man this is a you know you, you don't like kind of act like a fan a lot and I remember the first Lakers game that I had a credential for 
basically a fanboy the whole day, could not wait to not even ask Kobe Bryant a question, but just be in his mere presence, standing feet away from him, was really, really cool to do in a very special moment. So, again, there's complications with the legacy, and it's it's worth mentioning that, but a very, very sad day in the sports world and for the NBA and everything um, uh, around all of this, let alone the other families. So it's just a, a tragic day that clearly you could see the impact there. And, you know, I think one of the things that's really interesting to see about him is he maybe matured as he got a little bit older and, um, you know, kind of left the league and has been that global ambassador for the game. He's the coach of his daughter's team and uh, how much he enjoyed coaching them and how much he loved his family and his children, the four daughters, one that's only six months old um, and everything. It's it's just nice to see him be that kind of family man after everything that kind of happened early on in his career. And there's a reason it's a huge outpouring and no one's kind of focusing on the negative that he had that kind of impact and became that people. People do change and people can grow and he was certainly one of them. And it's just horrible to see in a a tragic helicopter accident that that life comes to an end. So tough all around, a really rough day, but a number of very nice moments there in the Smoothie King Center last night in honor of Kobe Bryant. All right, so starting to wrap up this edition of Locked On Pelicans, like I said, it was going to be a bit of a different type of episode. And I know you all want to talk about Zion, and trust me, I want to talk about Zion, probably more so than the last two things I talked about. Um, And I've watched both of these games now twice and very closely to see what kind of takeaways there are. And there's, there's a lot of good. Zion looks really good. There's some bad. Ingram's a bit of a concern here, but I don't know if that's truly an actual concern. And certainly yesterday's win against the Celtics showed some really great things in particular, how to kind of use his minutes in a way that, you know, that was different than the maddeningness of it from the first two. But let's focus on that part really quickly because we can do that today. So in the first game, he played four spurts. And we talked about it at the beginning of each quarter for about four, four to six minutes and had that explosion in the fourth quarter. And... Basically, they kind of replicated the same thing in the second game against the Denver Denver Nuggets where they used him to start each quarter and his minutes were basically about the same. But against the Celtics, things were a little bit different. He played more minutes in this game in general compared to the first two. And I think that is a very good and a very big thing um, to see that clearly then with a game every other day since he's made his debut that... Um, he is making solid improvement and is okay in practice the next day to warrant a significant minutes increase. He played 27 minutes, 15 seconds on Sunday. That's good. That's what you want to see. It means things are going well. There haven't been any setbacks, not that there were expected to be setbacks, but he's clearly progressing and meeting kind of all of the measurements and tests that the medical staff, the training staff, the coaching staff, the front office staff is laying out there for him. And Alvin Gentry used him in a very good way to kind of break up his minutes in the fourth quarter by playing him a little bit to start, but then also putting him in in crunch time and letting him close out the game. And he was key against the Celtics down the stretch, grabbing rebounds. He had 11 on the night. He also had seven offensive rebounds. He also had like four on one possession. Um, finished 9 of 
16 from the field in this game, 21 points, two assists as well, and was very, very good. And having a guy who can kind of make some of those plays that he can make, whether he loses the ball and can kind of finish again after gathering it, after getting blocked or missing at the rim, giving you those second chance opportunities and those second chance points, it's exactly what you want. And it, it erases kind of some of the mistakes, makes him feel less like a rookie because those aren't empty possessions. They are possessions where you score, just might have taken you two tries. And that is a significant improvement for the Pelicans in their half-court offense, which has struggled um, at times mightily this year. So having a guy who really instantly upgrades you in that capacity, I think has been really great to see. Also, Lonzo Ball tying a career, setting career high in this one, 15 assists. The team shot 15 of 19 on passes he made. That is awesome. That is really freaking good. And you can see the instant chemistry between him and Zion Williamson. They had that sideline alley-oop off an inbounds play. Awesome. And, you know, if you hear Lonzo Ball talk about it, he says, we've been running that all year. We kind of knew what the Celtics were doing defensively, helping on the shooter. So I told Zion to slip it and just go for the rim. If Lonzo can basically be a coach out there on the court like that, you got to feel pretty good also about where this team can go and what you know what they're doing and the chemistry that they're building and those two Zion and Lonzo in particular showed off a lot of chemistry early on in preseason and it's still like immediately uh, out there right now on the court evident despite the layoff so there's a lot coming together and when we see this team struggle at times and they did particularly against the Nuggets for a different reason that was offensive rebounding by the Nuggets that just murdered New Orleans in that game my god was that horrible but they seem to get that a little bit under control in this one and part of that has to do with Zion not really knowing where he needs to be defensively and that's leaving just gaping holes underneath the basket Um, Nuggets had 35 second chance points in that one that is unacceptable 24 offensive rebounds um it's just nuts but that comes to him not knowing where to position himself other guys not knowing where they need to be around him too and some of this is um just going to take time to work out and that's okay this team is taking a long-term outlook on this with the minutes restriction with other things and giving up some wins and they gave up two potentially this weekend alone with that um and so this week, I guess I should say. And you know what? After seven years of short-sighted decisions, short-term decisions, it's nice to see them take a long-term outlook. And it paid off with a very good Zion game against the Boston Celtics, a very, very good team that they beat to get his first victory and get that monkey off his back a little bit. So an awesome night on Sunday for the play, for the tributes we saw out there on the court. And I think that's as good of a spot to end the show today. We will dive more into Zion tomorrow. We can get more in-depth on everything when I think everything's just calmed down a little bit more. And I think that's a good thing. So thank you all for listening to this edition of Locked on Pelicans. As always, I'm your host, Jake Madison, at Nola Jake on Twitter. And we'll be back with you all tomorrow. 